Welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Stand Up Tragedy is a live show and podcast that's been running for three years now. What we do is we get people to come along to the show and stand up and do tragedy. And we get people from a variety of different parts of the arts. We've got comedians, storytellers, musicians, spoken word artists and more. And they come together to look at the sadder things in life with some laughs as well as some tears. The Stand Up Tragedy podcast is going to be going out every two weeks. So every two weeks you'll get a new dose of tragedy into your lives. Today's episode is Tragic Death. And it was recorded at the Hackney Attic at our Tragic Winter live event. Content note, today's episode contains Izzy Lawrence, whose podcast, The Z-List Deadlist, you should absolutely check out. And you can find at zlistdeadlist.com. You can follow Izzy on Twitter at Izzy underscore Lawrence. Amy McAllister, who you can find out more about at amymcallisterpoetry.wordpress.com and Jack Rook, who you can follow on Twitter at Jack Rook and you can find out more about his Good Grief show at www.thegoodgriefproject.com His crowdfunder is finished but you can still support the show by going to it, recommending it and spreading the word about what he's doing. The episode is called Tragic Death, and that should warn you that we're going to be discussing death in the show. And there is talk about bereavement, and there is talk about abuse. But there are a lot of laughs, as well as some very tough subjects. Hello, everybody! Are we recording, Harv? Excellent. Right, welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. So what we're doing for this year is we're doing four different seasons of tragedy, a tragedy for all seasons. And this is the first show of 2015, so it's tragic winter. I was a bit worried that it wasn't going to be wintry enough, that I'd actually set it a little bit too late and it was going to be completely inappropriate weather-wise. But we're doing okay. Uh, I saw some snowdrops on the way here, but it's still a bit cold. So yes, tonight is about the tragedies of winter and tonight is going to be about sort of pushing ourselves out of the darkness of the winter so hopefully by the end of the night we'll have shaken off all of the sadness of the of the winter and we will be able to move forwards into the spring so we've got three different themes that i thought were kind of winter related so act one is going to be tragic fairy tales so i thought that was appropriate because winter is a time when we tell stories in front of the fire to get us through the long nights the second act is guest curated by alice bell and that is going to be tragic climate so we're looking at the the sad and wintry aspects of climate change and then we're finishing up with tragic death the ultimate winter welcome back to the third act of tragic winter this time it's tragic death And I think, actually, tragic death might be a little bit less depressing than climate change. Uh, I think it will be. I think it will be. So, (laughs) yes, with that in mind, the tragedy that none of us can escape uh, is death. Uh, And it's also, like climate change, something that we we don't like to talk about, but it kind of helps to talk about. Uh, So... Without further ado, let's have our first performer. She does an amazing podcast called The Z-List 
dead list. Uh, it, if you like history, if you like funny things, if you like learning things, uh, that's the one for you. Um, it's really great. Uh, and the ne- she also records that as a live show sometimes. And the next live recording of that is at the Camden Head on March the 8th. Put your hands together, everybody, for Izzy Lawrence! Hello. He's got me talking about death, and I'm very upset because I'm a geographer by trade, and I know things about climate change, and I'm like, oh, I'm me, but never mind. Um, I'm a big fan of death because I'm waiting for Sue Perkins to go so I can have a career. Good, well noted. Um, yes, I've, I'm going to tell you about some dead people because I thought, why not? Uh, because you've got to be very careful about the way you die. Just so you know, you can have a brilliant life, be an amazing campaigner, um, you can be an amazing songstress, but if you die in a stupid way, that's all you're ever going to get remembered for. Um, my favourite death in the UK um, happened in 1703, that glorious year. Um, but yes, Hannah Twanny died in 1703 in Malmesbury. I don't know if you've been to Malmesbury, it's kind of near Swindon, bit of a hole, but pretty. And uh, she died, and on her tombstone it says that she was killed. Can anybody guess, just who I haven't spoken to about already and got excited? Anybody want to hazard a guess, 1703? Dead badger. Dead badger. Oh, yeah, I think people would have died before. I think, I think many people have been killed by a dead badger somehow um, before 1703, but no, it wasn't a dead badger. You're close, though, in some respects. Anybody? Give us, give us a clue. He was close when he said it was an animal. Ooh, not a swan, no. Once again, you're picking animals which likelihood people are going to cut them across before. But no, she was killed by a tiger. First person to be killed by a tiger, it was a travelling circus type thing, and first person to be killed by a tiger. Another guy I really like is a guy called Simon Gilker. Now, Simon Gilker uh, died in 50... Oh, no, was it? hang on, let me, hang on, let me look at... Uh, 16, it was 16, it has to be 16, because obviously dates. Um, mm, 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 yeah, 1696, right? Now, in 1696, he, ladies and gentlemen, was the reason that we have those annoying ads leading up to the 5th of November, reminding you to be careful with fireworks. He died from a rocket. There you go, happy death. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just one of these lovely, uh, lovely things. Now, there are some people who lived a hell of a long time. And obviously, some people who lived a hell of a long time. Um, in my research for my podcast and stuff, I do come across these people and you think, yeah, it can't be right. Because, like, for example, um, in 1930, um, the New York Times ran an article about China celebrating uh, Li Chen Wen's Li Chen Wen's um, 150th birthday, 1930. Right, and there was a big celebration there. He's 100. And then the guy at the New York Times investigated this further and found out that in 1877, the Chinese government had celebrated his 150th birthday. And apparently, this guy had been alive for 256 years before he died. He had over 100 wives and had over 300 descendants all living. Of course, it might be bullshit. Um, he was a herbalist, of course. And uh, yeah, he had this um, wonderful phrase, which is he, he imparted to people as a way to live long. And it was the idea of sitting, walking, and sleeping. And the idea is that you sit like a tortoise. Yeah, we like the way they sit, don't we? Sort of. <laughs> walk, right? Got to walk. 
Now you're thinking, oh, what can walk like? Walk like a, you know, tiger? No, no, we've had that, no. Walk like a panther, maybe. Mm. No, walk like your pants are too tight. No, no. Walk like a pigeon. <laughs> Genuinely, this is his advice. Walk like a pigeon. Oh, yeah. No, um, uh, he meant in a sprightly fashion, so be quick and direct and, you know, bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do that and sleep and then guess what sleep like a dog oh because dogs sleep really well and sound because they're stupid so that is that that was his great advice to you now you might be thinking 256 years there's nobody in the uk that could beat that you'd be correct i have been looking for somebody who's obviously lazarus never dies never written that that he dies gets resurrected and doesn't say anything because thanks lazarus you could have made some bullshit up and make us feel better but no just silent Yay. Anyway, um, but in, in our country, right, and not really our, she was Irish, but technically at the time when she was supposedly born, Ireland was ours, so still ours. So, <laughs> uh, polit- politics. Yeah, um, all I know about her, um, she was called the Count- she was the Countess of Desmond, and she was called Joanna Fitzgerald. And we know that she died, and we don't really know, because some people say she died in 1625, but the best thing I can get is that she died in 1604. Now, when she died in 1604, right, you have to put this in context, she was said during King Edward's reign, so he was, when, when was he? He must have been, oh, oh let me remind myself, because I'm, you know, as, a, as an amateur historian, I know really bad dates. Uh, but he's like the late 15th century, so that's like 120 years at least, right? She got married during his reign. She was said to have danced with Richard III. She outlives, right, Henry the Seventh. Well done, Izzy. Henry the Eighth, Mary Tudor, and um, Elizabeth um, the First. And she actually petitions um, James I to sort of say, oh, can I have my stuff back because my husband died and everybody's being a bit mean to me. So Walter Riley owned her property and thought, I'll let her in it because she won't last long. Mm. Uh, She lasted a hell of a long time. It said that in 1604, when she went to petition the king, right, she walked, she basically got the boat from Ireland, went down to um, Bristol and then walked from Bristol to London with her daughter behind her. She was training her daughter in a carriage because her daughter was an invalid at the age of 90. Okay? This is, a ma- this is how old she was said to be. She was finally, and the best thing, it was an archbishop, and I can't remember which archbishop it was, and you don't care, Usher. Archbishop Usher said that Catherine Fitzgerald died tragically after falling out of a cherry tree. <laughs> Not the way you'd expect to go if you're an ancient woman. So, I mean, at minimum, she's 120, according to the history books, which... As we know, most history, a bit of bullshit. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lovely, a lovely tale of length and everything else. One man, of course, said that he wouldn't die, and he's one of my favourite Zed listers that I have discovered whilst reading a lot of stuff in books and on the internet. And his name, obviously we all know him, Henry Prince. Give me a yeah. Yeah, one man's heard of him. The rest of you are like, no, don't know Henry. But you've got to heard of Henry Prince, right? He was very much a 19th century man, right? He was born in 1801, so right at the start there. He became a cleric. He was a clergyman. He joined the Church of England. And he basically got chucked out in his early 20s. Quite early. He was a curate, and he got chucked out. He's in the West Country by the Bishop of Bath and Wells, not for not supplying him with babies, but largely because every time... Um, that he would get on to address the congregation. He'd divide them up into the saved and the damned. 
Now, I've been to some awkward weddings. But that is particularly fine. Also, if you noted when you were there, you'd have noticed that the saved kind of tended to be young, sexy, rich women, and the damned, pretty much you lot. So... <laughs> It was, it was divided like that. And they sort of, we can't have this. But just because he didn't have any, like, you know, official church anymore, he still went around. He went around the all of the West Coast. He went to Dorset, yeah? Right? And he was going around. And in, in 1843, by 1848, he was generating a bit of a following. And by 1843, right, he, he was in a cafe in, Wel- in Weymouth and he declared to the assembled people that he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. And there's talk of this, right, in every, like, um, <laughs> I think it was a local magistrate writes to the Houses of Parliament, because it's such a to-do, this. This is a big deal, right? And he's writing, not only is he walking around claiming to everybody he meets that he is the Messiah and he will never die, but he is also doing it whilst naked. Okay, this guy's brilliant, and he was utterly brilliant. He would get, now, I don't know if it was because he was so good or because life as a woman in the 19th century was piss boring, right? But basically, rich women shagged him like no one knew. And I've seen a picture of him, and he's not a looker, you know? He was getting all of these rich women just to go, yeah, I'll join a cult, please, anything but the tedium of my life, right? He set up a little um, commune. He called it the Abode of Love, or Agape Moan, and he did this in a village, and it does exist, called Spaxton, <laughs> which is, and the house he, was, uh, he had is still there and it's still standing. You can go visit it. And uh, what's particularly charming about it is in his little sort of commune he had, he had a giant roulette wheel made, so basically out of an old tabletop, and he'd place women in each of the little holes and he'd give it a spin, a bit like Wheel of Fortune. Whoever landed in front of him, his wife for the week. I mean, <laughs> Like I say, the women were up for this. This is the thing. He got sued quite a lot because obviously rich people don't like their daughters like, you know, blowing all their money on weirdos. But it wasn't particularly good because uh, I think it was, well, who was it? It was the Nottage family, right? He married all five of their daughters, right? And he would... He basically almost bankrupted the family. It was quite cool. Um, he, would, he would tell the daughters that he was getting messages from the Holy Ghost, they should look out because they're going to get messages from the Holy Ghost as well, right? And so they looked out. So sure enough, they got messages from the Holy Ghost written on postcards in their jewellery boxes. Genius! I mean, and they believed it. They gave him money, right? He did end up in court, fined £5,000, but, you know, it carried on. He got a good following going. And then, unfortunately, for a messiah, he did kind of die. Um, yeah, in 1899. So he had a long life, to be fair, and everybody was very surprised. It, apparently, he died a few days beforehand, that it was officially said, but they were kind of convinced he'd resurrect himself, but then he started to smell, and they thought, maybe he won't. Um, they did bury him stood up, though, which is quite clever. And, and before any of you, you know, because obviously you bury somebody stood up so they can escape somehow. The grave, easier. I don't know, would that be easier if you're buried stood is that anyway there's a logic there I don't understand it but anyway you'll be pleased to know that the the abode of love did not cease then because John Smythe Piggott took over and his angry wife (laughs) she was very upset because he started to spread the word of you know Anyway, um, continuing, continuing on, and, and unfortunately he died in um, 1925, and then it, the place became a retirement home. And in, there's a wonderful clutting, right? In 1955, a journalist from the Herald 
goes to this you know, um, little townhouse in Spaxton and sees what's left of it. And he opens the door, and inside are nine really old women drinking Horlicks going, oh, come in. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, all I'm saying is, like, you know, if you are going to claim to be the Messiah, please don't die, because that ruins it for the rest of us. Or if you do die, go up to heaven on a rocket like Jesus did, because that would be awesome. Um, is that how it happened? I know he came back and then he went up again. I don't know how he ascended, so I assume it's some sort of like... <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't make jokes about religion. I'm sorry. That's, that's, I, 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 please, if you are religious, I really didn't mean to upset you. Do understand. It's just a joke. It doesn't mean anything. It's just words. It's like prayer. Relax. <laughs> Anyway, I've been Izzy Lawrence. If you're interested in weird history, zlistedlist.com. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Izzy Lawrence, everybody. Right. So our next performer, you may have seen her on TV being an actor. You may have seen her on a stage doing poetry or comedy. Put your hands together for Amy McAllister! Hey, hello everyone. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that Izzy was like perky because I don't know about you, but I've been getting really sad throughout the course of the evening and like looking out the window at the rain and thinking maybe I'll just jump. But um, I'm not gonna do that today. Um, so uh, unfortunately I'm quite obedient. So even though I don't normally like to make people feel shit, uh, it's normally, not normally the aim of a gig, um, I have been quite obedient. So, so I'm afraid this is quite depressing. <laughs> um, so you're just gonna have to deal with that. Um, so the things I wanna talk, <laughs> I'm getting thumbs up from Dave. Yeah, depressing. What a weirdo you are. <laughs> anyway, um, so what I'd like to talk about today, because it's death for me, is um, people who have died because people weren't noticing them or paying enough attention. So lots of different ways you can die can fall into that category. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, I don't know if any of you remember about, like, Maybe a few years ago, there was this woman in Wood Green who was found dead in her flat after three years. Uh, no one had noticed she was dead or gone from their lives. So she was like a complete skeleton, like sat in front of some Christmas presents, like, and they couldn't even identify how she died because she was just like dust and bone. And when I first read that article, I thought like, oh, she must have been like, you know, a junkie or had no family, no friends and all that stuff that you might assume. But actually, like, looking into it more, she, she had family. She had had friends over her life so far. She was, like, in her 30s. And she'd had boyfriends and jobs and was fairly, like, you know, functional, whatever that means. And I was like, how does that even happen? Um, it seemed that she was the kind of person who came and went from friendship groups and didn't really have a strong opinions and wasn't was kind of bland, I guess. Like, and I don't know if she was bland on purpose or not. But anyway, this is a poem about that lady. Um, if I can find it. It's, are you guys okay? Do you need a hug? <laughs> uh, I do. So later on, come get me. Unless you're creepy. Um, okay, this is called Sayonara. So this is basically how to be like her. If you want no one to know that you've died, do this. Walk in crowds and tuck your elbows in. This is a roller coaster, life, they say. There should have been a 
height limit for safety's sake, only they didn't think of that till it was too late. So those of us who just aren't big enough, who don't fit snugly in the seats, are bounced around and dangled screaming over laughing strangers. Somebody might even take a photograph. Somebody else might try to make you buy it. Whatever you do, remember to keep quiet when the others are debating psychological ideas or the climate. It's better to remain lukewarm. Be sure to turn up every day for work, but not arrive too early or stay late. Avoid letting the emails get on top of you, but never, ever have a good idea. If you insist on going to the doctor, it's best to ask for penicillin, especially if your GP has told you that it's just a cold. Fear growing old, but only mildly. If someone working at a till offers you stamps, decline. Unless you're at the post office when saying yes to stamps is fine. In supermarkets, buy a realistic mixture of fresh fruit and processed wheat-based junk. In meaningful relationships, remember anniversaries with chocolates and a card. If you're invited to a do involving fancy dress, think long and hard before agreeing to attend. If you must go, don't spend a fortune on the costume of a television villain from a cartoon of your youth, but don't home make. Wear something obvious and uninspired and topical enough to be the thing that everybody else has thought of too. Smash mirrors. You will not be needing all that look. And looking at your eyes could otherwise entice a sort of hanging on. Let go and go without a peep. I promise you, it will be just as if you're lying in a dreamless sleep. No one will miss you and you've made it clear that's what you want. People will say that from what little they recall... The girl was nice. So I'm sort of nervous about this bit um, because I, I usually do like very fluffy things and anyone is, who is probably almost none of you, but anyone who knows my poetry stuff, I talk about boys a lot and I sometimes talk about poo and sometimes I talk about boys and poo in relation to each other. Um, but, but I also have a lot of other poems I write that I tend not to crack out because I don't like depressing people, I guess. Um, but I write a lot of poems about one other subject that is not boys um, because it's something I really give a shit about, which is the amount of children that are dying because they're being neglected or abused um, and it's being noticed but not acted upon and then they go, oh shit, we, we kind of thought that might happen and then they're already dead and they're like, sorry, we failed you. Ugh, we won't do it again. And then it happens like a week later. And I know it's a really grim topic. Being polite seems to be more important than potentially getting a kid out of a really bad situation. So like, if you know, if you hear through the wall like really weird banging and a, a child screaming, you're like, ooh. I better not knock in because how embarrassing if I'm wrong. Like, my neighbour might think I'm a bit of a dick. But, like, if you're right, that's a massive deal. So, like, who cares if your neighbour thinks you're a bit of a dick? You should probably knock in, you know? And over and over this seems to happen. There was a, a baby called Perrin Barlow. He was nine months old and he was killed by his parents. And, you know, a neighbour said after it was all over, oh, yeah, I did used to see him and his older um, siblings pressed against the window pleading to be let out and I just thought okay so why didn't you let them out or like smash the fucking window so I and I, I get that it's hard and I get that there's loads of legislation and stuff as well I don't even know how to say that word is it legislation or legislation 
Thank you. Legislation. Um, I don't know if you remember Anna Klimby. Uh, that was a, quite a big case as well. It was in the news a few years ago. But anyway, she was eight. She was killed by her mother and her mother's boyfriend. Um, and she, uh, let me just remember how many, yeah, she, in the post-mortem, she had 128 marks on her body, like current wounds, 128. And she had been in hospital, but they had concluded that they must have been accidental like 128. So sometimes people are telling, because that was a friend had actually brought her to the hospital, so that's cool. But then you get there, and you're like, hey, social worker, woohoo, and a police officer, woohoo. And they came, and then they went, ah, she's probably all right, because it's only 128, so it, it must be just like lots of falling down. She must be a really dizzy kid. So yeah, that also pisses me off. There was another kid called Blake Fowler. He was seven. He was killed. It was a head injury. They found... They found um, some like a substance that's only in ceilings in his hair because he'd obviously been like bounced off the ceiling but he was actually very vocal compared to a lot of the children and was often just coming into school and like telling his teachers everything he wasn't very kind of frightened of what that might do he just like talk about it all the time but another thing he would do is like beat the shit out of everyone he was like seven and like this hard little fucker and um he never understood, apparently, the teacher said. Like, he didn't get why he shouldn't, because he would just say, but this is what my dad does, you know. So, uh, yeah. So I'm just going to read some poems that are kind of about this topic. Um, is that okay? Yeah? Is that okay? Okay. So um, this is called At Risk. Oh, one more thing. In Ireland, uh, the first year of primary school, what do you call that here again? Reception. Reception. is called junior infants. You just need to know that. Okay. At Risk. He was forever stuffing junior infants in the bottom of the can machine. Like as if their sweetness meant they should be stored amongst the cokes. They seldom cried, partly out of shock, partly out of glimpsing fizzy drinks they regularly lifted from the fridge and gyms into the trolley, only to be scolded at the checkouts. He liked how cleanly some would fit, and often removed their velcroed shoes, arranging them in natural-looking footstep formations leading to the base of the machine. And once a child was neatly tucked away, he would go back to class and be a better pupil, sharing out the crayons and remembering to use the red for hearts and not for shading head wounds. That's that. So here's the thing, right? That's what I think about all that stuff. And I've, I've always sort of ranted about... Um, the, the fact that people should do something if they notice something. Um, I've always wanted quite a lot. I, I had a, an incident where I had my opportunity to um, do what I, you know, practice what I preach. And I, well, I, this is called Nothing Happened in Poundland. I should have stopped her, but I was busy stocking up on Toblerones and cheap cod liver oil to grease my bones. In the queue, I gasped in shock, nearly at the top, Delving as I froze amid the overcrowded shelving for the courage to shout stop. But then the cashier shouted next and I fell out of and in line and also short. Short of your very basic need for some protection. For bigger hands to bat the jerking ones away. For sharper teeth to cut through hisses with firm justice. For softer words instilling credence that if you were brave enough to come with me and tell on mummy, everything would be okay. I made small steps and sought an ally in the cashier. That woman strangling her toddler. Do you see?
but he didn't even shrug. And me, I walked away. So uh, I guess I'm just saying, don't walk away, even if I tell you not to, and then I did. And that's me. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so it's a strange uh, experience for performers, I think, doing stand-up tragedy. Um, like, if you're a comedian and you decide to do something serious, then it's a strange experience to not have laughs. And if you're a spoken word uh, performer, it's, it's even weirder because uh, I'm sure you guys feel a bit strange too. Like, it's, it's, it's strange to clap a really sad thing, even if you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so well done, audience, and well done, Amy, for getting through that together. Uh, th this is a place where I want people to be able to talk about those things which we normally don't talk about and so I'm really pleased that that's what you decided to do uh, even if it is weird to give you two thumbs up particularly after the set like now I know why how weird those two thumbs were and I feel strange but that's okay it's okay to feel strange now our last performer uh, is, he's doing, right, so he's, he's basically at the moment doing an amazing show that I've sort of seen in works in progress versions of it. It's called Good Grief, uh, and he is crowdfunding it uh, through Ideas Tap until March the 16th. So if you uh, can fund, help fund his show about grief, really, I, I would urge you to do so. Uh, you can find out more about it at www.thegoodgriefproject.com. And put your hands together for our final tragedian of the night, Jack Rock! Thank you very much. See, I didn't even tell Dave to do a plug. It's like on this morning when they're like, and oh, you can check them out on here. I wish my name was No Signal, because then it would make this lovely little sign here. I'm a hip-hop artist. My name's No Signal. Thanks very much for coming. Um, no, my name's Jack Crook, and I'm about to tell you... Amy said, like, she likes to write about boys and poo. Um, I like to write about being fat and my dead dad. Um, anybody got a dead dad? Give me a holler. Yeah. Woo! Oh, yeah, dead parents, dead the lot. Brilliant. Um, well, not brilliant, but I suppose you've got to make the best out of a shitty situation, which is pretty much what my show Good Grief is. Um, I'm going to read you some bits and bobs from it. I've kind of been making... I stupidly had a prop to bring you all, and then I left it on the rail replacement bus, um, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invoice the overground for that, really. Um, but, yeah, so I'm going to read some bits and bobs to you. Is anybody familiar with a poet called Holly McNeish? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? yeah, we've got a few, yeah. So she did this night once called An Evening with Death. Um, and it was through the eyes of poets and doctors, which was quite an interesting one. And on one side of the stage, um, she had a sign saying, before I die, I want to. And on the other side of the stage, it said, before I die, I need to. So I decided to write something in response to that. And imaginatively, I decided to call it, before I die. Before I die, I want to eat bounty bars, just to be controversial. I went to star in my own less corny version of the Match.com commercial. I went to go at Sainsbury's self-checkout tills with a sledgehammer. I went to be a drag queen called Nigella Farage. And I want to see Nigel change his name to Raj. I want to have rough, filthy sex with you all. With you all, especially you. 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 Lady on your phone. Oh, so... 
You can hit me up on BBM, Twitter, at Jack Brooke, or maybe even give me a go on Tinder. I want to drink more, eat less. I want to see Katie Hopkins down the street so I can citizens arrest her for hate crimes against fat people. I want, to less, I want less Claudia and more Tess. I want to hear that girl on the tube say that she doesn't mind if her boyfriend cries because if his best mate died, you'd be worried, surely, if he didn't shed some tears. I want to go walk about the 270 square mile Irinde game reserve in Namibia with Ray Mears. I want to find out that secret blend of 11 herbs and spices. I want to take a shit outside American Apparel and wipe my ass on a copy of Vice magazine. I want to make Dad proud. I want to make Mum proud. I want to make Dave Pickering proud. I want to throw up outside Proud in Camden because everybody out in Camden after 10pm is a bit of an asshole. I want to not speak so loud during at least one occasion where volume is typically frowned upon, i.e. assemblies, church services or the STI clinic. I want to go to the Harvester Salad Bar and not feel compelled to hide all the good stuff at the bottom of the bowl, like the little bacon bits, the crispy onion. Do we know, has anybody gone to Harvester and done this? Because you just feel like self-conscious, like, oh, I'm eating all the fatty foods at the salad bar again. I want the cast of Towie to stay in Marbs. I want to learn sign language. <laughs> I want to learn sign language and communicate with people who have totally different stories to tell. I want to help my mum to find her confidence again and come out of her shell. I want to go into All Saints with a pack of highlighters and colour in all their dull, monochrome, wanky clothes. I want to understand what the hell PPI even is. I want to see suicide not be the biggest killer of young men who are gay or have lost a parent or who feel that they are happiest when asleep and I really want to be on the pink team of Supermarket Sweep. I want to see all those who use the compound words mega lols or amazeballs hung upside down by their balls and dragged via a rusty iron chain down a German motorway. I want to see Jeremy Clarkson hung upside down by his balls and dragged via a rusty iron chain down a German motorway. I want to hear my generation realise that the word frape is not okay. I want to hear my generation not describe things that are a bit lame with the word gay. I want to see us bridge the gap between young and old and I want to stop being hassled by cash for gold. I want to form a punk band called Fuck the Limelight with Michelle from Destiny's Child <laughs> and the one who got chucked out the XX. I want to hear a Flowrider song that doesn't sell sex. I want Vogue to apologise for the fact that from 2003 to 2013 there was not one single solo cover featuring a black female model. I want to see my new neighbour come out and speak to me because I picked up her post and this is actually true. Her name is Molly Coddle. <laughs> I want to see Asata Shakur be acquitted so she can leave political refuge in Cuba, drink cocktails on Miami Beach and teach the truth, but I really want to avoid Magaluf. I want to experience proof of aliens like in the Spice World movie. Has anyone seen it? Where um, Meat Loaf drives the tour bus and drops the girls all off for a slash and then I want to basically tell the Martians to tell Jerry not to quit next year. I want to meet Dad for a beer and a dream so I don't forget him. I want to get slim, but never walk into a gym. I want to finish off life full to the brim. But before I die, I suppose I just need to be happy. Thank you.
the reason I stumbled on a word is because halfway through performing, I realised that I've got a piece of chewing gum in my mouth. And then I thought, what would the performer etiquette be of spitting out chewing gum in front of 30 people in Hackney into my mouth and hoping nobody saw? And then I realised you'd all see. So I'm going to keep it in as a bit of a task to perform and have chewing gum in my mouth, okay? So any, if you see it, then maybe shout a word like, bingo! And then I'll come over and give you 20 quid. Um, so, fuck off, Amy McAllister. You, I'll give you 20 quid anyway, I'm sure I hear you that. I'm going to do a poem. Um, I'm going to do one more poem. What would you guys like? Should we do something? Should, look, right, I'm going to lift. Let's be high energy, closing act. And let's go for something that I think Amy would like. This poem is called Mrs. Gail Beresford Dale. And I really want to spit out this chewing gum. Do you know what I'm going to do? Right. Everybody just hum. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Because it was really distracting and I would have just ended up spitting it out at this gentleman here. This poem is called Mrs. Gail Beresford Dale. Mum... My mum wants us to pay for an over-expensive chat with some snooty twat from Hertfordshire Bereavement Services. Her name is Mrs. Gail Beresford-Dale. She's pale, with a Lego haircut that defies all acknowledged laws of gravity. She smells like strepsils and deep heat. Feet, like horses' hooves. She's outrageously posh. Walks in our house dressed in what looks like a pair of curtains, and I'm certain that she's older than mine and mum's combined age. Our counselling session begins. An ever-so-frail Gail starts to wriggle in our armchair. Every time I stare, Mum pinches my knee. We start talking, and Gail comes out with the age-old cliché, Tell me, how does that make you feel? Me and Mum sit opposite her on the sofa, surrounded by a mountain of unwashed mugs, a stack of used scratch cards, an ashtray full of dog ends, a TV guide where I've drawn moustaches on Peggy Mitchell, and a list of 26 people on the telly we'd like to punch because they're too smug. Fiona fucking Bruce. I want to reply, Gail, it wouldn't take a genius to conclude that we feel shit. We spent weeks comfort eating, drowning in our eye bags, and desensitised watching loose women, but instead... Me and Mum responded with the generic, polite reply we had meticulously practised. See, this is my posh word warning. Meticulously. Highbrow poet, guys. Highbrow. Meticulously practised to reduce the patronising sympathy harboured deep within Gail's beady blue eyes. That's why I did a poetry project at the Roundhouse. Just so I could come up with that metaphor. It's carried to building, isn't it, Mum? Yeah, it's brought us so much closer. Don't know why I always play my mum as if she's from Essex. She's not. She's from Watford. But, um, yeah, it's brought us so much closer together. We feel incredibly strong. Wrong, but right. Gail started jotting down notes and she asks, How are you finding your studies? Well, today at school, Gail, I locked myself in the disabled loos to have a little cry because in disabled loos there are just more space. More, play, more, more space to pace. Quite frankly, all toilets should be disabled because there's a full-length mirror from feet to face, so you can really watch yourself have a good cry in a kind of dramatic Sinead O'Connor way. <laughs> Gail interrupts me with a, Um, how are you finding other areas of life, like leisure pursuits? Well, Gail, tell me, what are you supposed to do? 
Um, when you want to have a wank after someone's died, I mean, you can't hide. They can see you from above, bashing one out. And what are you supposed to do when you've got no one to watch Family Guy with anymore? And what are you supposed to do when some friends don't speak to you anymore and you feel like you've got boy whose dad's died tattooed on your forehead? And what are you supposed to do when no one is even in a fit state to pick you up from school? And what are you supposed to do when a car comes into the drive at night and your brain plays cruel tricks because you think it's him? Gail has just farted. Gail has actually just let one rip in the middle of our bereavement counselling session. Her face melts and mine and mum's shoulders start bouncing until suddenly the smell hits. And it's evident that Gail has got the shits. Gail stood, arms like wood. She bid farewell to the smell and pressed Control-Alt-Delete on our counselling session. She pounced out the front door, clenching her buttocks so tight you could see her shedding small tears of fear. As soon as the door closed in this Matrix-esque slow-motion sequence, me and Mum fell to the ground. Gail may have shat herself, but me and Mum are now pissing with laughter, like it's monsoon season. Gail wasn't a fail. She made us laugh again, laugh with the spontaneous arrival of we, a human right, if you ask me. So, Mrs. Beresford Dale, I may have once branded you a snooty twat, but thank you ever so much for our one expensive chat. Thank you. Um, I think I'll do one story, one little story that's kind of from the show. Um, that I've kind of made some props for, considering I left the other props on the bus. Um, so basically, the same week as my dad's funeral, I was 15, it was in the middle of my GCSEs when he died, and in the same week, the town where I lived, of Chorley Wood, was voted the happiest place to live in the whole of Britain. Um, which was my first foray into the concept of cruel irony. Um, and, and so like, I went back to school about three weeks after he died, um, in the town that's the happiest place in Britain. And I really struggled to adjust. It was really difficult. And the one subject I was really struggling with was GCSE Spanish. Um, don't ask me why. I think maybe Spanish and bereavement just don't go hand in hand. Um, but uh, I was really struggling with it. And my mum, I always used to forge my school letters because my mum can't really read or write that well. Um, I've got a proper parental X-Factor sob story. Um, if I could sing, I'd be raking in all that cover money. But um, I basically would forge my school letters. So I decided that I'd forge a letter to my Spanish teacher that said, Dear Mrs Livingstone, could Jack please be excused from Spanish GCSE because his dad's just died? Um, that was pretty much what, what it was. And uh, it was a really weird one because at the time, um, my... Like, I had to give it to my head of year, and she was this really weird teacher who was having a bit of a mental breakdown. Like, she looked like a cross between Janet Street Porter and Danny DeVito. She was very odd, and she would go around school with a megaphone shouting at children who didn't have their shirts tucked in. Like, she was a Nazi, basically. So I gave her this letter, but what I didn't realise is, because I typed it out at school, and I printed it off in my school library, that there was something called a timestamp which said, document written, document printed, by Jack Rook at 12.01. So I gave her this during lunch hour, and she basically foiled me. 
So we kind of made a bit of a compromise. Rather than get mad, she gave me one of these. Insert hand into breast pocket and pull out perfectly placed prop, which was a get-out-of-class card, which was basically not a folded-up shitty piece of paper. Um, but it was a card that I could flash to a teacher if I felt sad in a lesson and walk out. I could like go to the library, read a book... Um, go to my favourite disabled loo and have a cry, or just order a pizza from Domino's, which I frequently did. Um, and so, I, 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 at first, I didn't want to. First, I didn't want to use this piece of paper at, at school. Like, if you've got anything that marks you out as the weird kid, you just like immediately want to run away from it. And I didn't want to be one of those weird boys until I realised that actually the card was quite powerful. Until eventually, I became a dictator who would walk out of a lesson, whether I was sad or not, whenever the fuck I liked, and gradually would ask for more and more friends to come with me. Um, so, Mr. Addo, period for maths, was just before lunch, and like 15 minutes before the bell would go, I'd look outside and like, I'd just try and think of something sad, and I'd go up to him and I'd be like, Sir, there's a red car outside. And my dad used to wear the colour red. And then he would just let me go. It was as easy as that. And I'd take two friends with me. We'd run out of the classroom and we'd be first into the canteen queue for the hot food. Um, and it was great. I just used to abuse this power. And then I thought about it when I was writing this show that Dave mentioned. That actually what she gave me with this little card was the only bit of control that I had. And I know everyone else, like Izzy spoke about the history of death and Amy spoke about death in a different way, but mine's really more about grief and that death actually comes with us just basically letting go of all control we have. So at that time, I had no control over whether, you know, what my GCSE results were going to be, um, whether or not my mum was going to be in a fit enough state to pick me up from school. And this card was basically 15-year-old me reclaiming a bit of control over my life. And I've made you all... Apart from the one that's now got chewing gum stuck to the middle of it. I've made you all a kind of modern version of this card called a goose card, which stands for get out of shit event. Um, so you've all got these to take home. I'll read through. So it goes, please excuse, Alan, you would write your name in there, from your event slash situation slash party. You can just cross out as applicable. <laughs> they may be feeling down slash upset slash tired of you. I think it's important to be honest, if you don't want to be somewhere, you might just think the person's a prick. And they may require some alone time with their thoughts, slash copy of the Radio Times, slash biscuit tin. Um, so there's one for all of you. Um, and actually, there's not one for all of you, because I left them all on the bus. But I've quickly scrabbled together some. So if anybody has got a burning desire to get out of a shit event, then let me know, and I'll give you a card. Um, my name is Jack Rook. If you'd like to know more, it's thegoodgriefproject.com. Thank you very much for having me. Good night. Jack Rook, everybody. Okay, so this is uh, the time in the evening if people have been to a stand-up tragedy before. Uh, they'll know that I, I, I am not just about thumbs up to depressing subjects. I also think that it's a good idea to, you know, be, to, you know to, to, to cheer ourselves up after a, a night of tragedy. And so how I choose to do that is by have, getting us to all have a sing-along. Um, 
Now, every, every, every time we do a show, it's quite hard to work out what song is the audience going to all know. Um, I think I'm quite confident about today's choice, actually. Uh, although once in this room, uh, the audience did not really know Heroes by David Bowie. So my confidence is, com- you know, is confused nowadays. Uh, because, and, and also people weren't that aware of, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> the best song about working class experience. Came from Greece, first for knowledge. Yeah, common people. There you go. I don't know. I couldn't remember the word, the name of the song, but I could remember the lyrics. Audience, not so much. One time. So, let's see if you can help me out here and know this song because I'm not going to have any words by me. Uh, so you're going to have to just know them from your knowledge. Now let's see. Um, so the song that we've chosen for Tragic Winter is uh, "Let It Go" from Frozen. <laughs> now, how do you feel about that song? Do people like it? If you like it, give a cheer. Not many. If you hate it, give a cheer. Right, people who hate it, sing with hate in your hearts. People who love it, sing with love in your hearts. But the other thing I would like people to think about is the best time uh, that this song gets sung, I think, and I do love this song and I love that film, but uh, the best time this song gets sung is in primary schools, by primary school kids. In fact, even better, primary school kids on the tube. Like, I've seen primary school kids just really letting go on the tube like little boys as well as little girls and little boys need to let go as well as little girls so it's great to see that happening on the tube so I want you to think about that imagine you're a primary school child not a jaded person who's heard this song like so many fucking times no you're a primary school child with love in your heart you're going to let it go Uh, Harvey got it queued up right Yeah, we're all going to sing along, or I'm going to sing on my own, which will be tragic in itself, so fine. God never bothered me anyway. Yeah, if you think think that was a gruelling experience, you should have seen Common People. That's a much longer song. Right, so thank you all for coming to Stand Up Tragedy today. Follow the tragedy at Stand Up for tragedy on twitter make friends with the tragedy by friending us on facebook or if you don't want to be our friend you can like us on facebook as well the podcasts are going out every two weeks at the moment and they are available from itunes the stitcher smart radio app and any other place that podcasts go to hang out on the internet there's a hell of a And we've got a big back catalogue, so there's loads more tragedy to listen through. We particularly recommend the Selected Tragedy episodes, which we put together during the last break we had from live shows. Our next stand-up tragedy is Tragic Spring, and that is happening at the Hackney Attic on the 25th of April. We've got an amazing lineup. It's Tragic Beginnings, Tragic bodies guest hosted by matilda gregory and tragic sex and i'm really excited to hear what those performers are going to do and how that show is going to flow come and join us it's five pounds in advance seven pounds on the door you can find out about that and all other things stand up tragedy at www.standuptragedy.co.uk and if you'd like to write some tragedy for us and submit that to be displayed on our blog, then you can find out the details on the website of how to go about doing it. And for now, the tragedy is...
This podcast has been produced by me with sound production from Stephen Harvey with music at the beginning from Sam Wilkinson and playing us out with The Tragedy Is Over, George Brufton.